Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Loss in Ohio. After a highly anticipated vote on issue one, the Ohio State Constitution will now be amended to include language that explicitly names abortion as a, quote, right. Catholics in the state are devastated by the loss. We speak with one of them here on our program. Senator Tuberville stands strong. The senator from Alabama continues his nearly year-long hold on hundreds of military nominations in a highly publicized standstill to protect unborn children. We have the latest from Capitol Hill. Deborah Vitaliano, a pro-life woman from Westchester County, New York, has been barred from helping women outside of abortion clinics. A law prevents her from doing the work she feels called by God to do, encourage women to choose life for their babies. Now the Supreme Court may step in. We share Deborah's story. This week, the pro-life movement suffered a devastating blow in Ohio, which has historically been a pro-life stronghold. A decisive majority of voters, 56.6 percent, voted to amend the state's constitution to include pro-abortion language. The language that will be added to the constitution reads in part, every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including, but not limited to, decisions on abortion. The new language ensures that there will be legal challenges to Ohio's plethora of pro-life laws. Plus, many have raised a red flag about how the amendment could put minors in severe danger in other ways due to its broad terms. Tragically, President Biden and Vice President Harris claimed this as an important victory. We're joined now by a Catholic Ohioan, Brian Hickey, Executive Director of the Catholic Conference of Ohio. Brian, thank you for being here. Your initial reaction to the passage of Issue 1 in your state. Well, it's a day of sorrow in Ohio. Um, certainly, we're extremely disappointed that all the work that we put in as the Catholic Conference and all of our diocese um, and the numerous Catholic faithful across the state to inform our fellow parishioners and Ohioans generally about this dangerous amendment. Um, it just wasn't enough. Um, but certainly our sorrow is for the true victims of this amendment, the Ohio children who will not have a chance at life, the Ohio women who will be deceived into thinking that abortion is their best option, um, and just generally the, the severe obstacles this amendment will, will be to building a culture of life here in Ohio. And Brian, how are fellow Catholics like yourself taking this? Can you make sense of how such an extreme amendment could receive broad approval in a state that's been strongly pro-life for decades? Sure. Um, certainly over the last few weeks, we've been concerned and um, disappointed at the number of ads that we see on television and on digital media, one after the other um, from the sides who passed this amendment, um, and they were certainly effective at it, um, calling our heartbeat law extreme, highlighting the um, lack of exclusions for rape and incest in our heartbeat law, and just a general message of keeping government out of Ohioans' healthcare decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly we were concerned about this, um, but I'm just proud of all the Ohioans, especially in our Catholic churches, who put the time and effort into inform right. their fellow Ohioans of the church's teaching on life. 
Right, right. And would you delineate some of the pro-life laws that are now in jeopardy in your state? I know most of us are concerned about the Heartbeat Act, which bans most abortions that you just mentioned, and, and that's already being litigated in the courts. So wh what's the state of your, of your pro-life laws going to look like? That's correct. So we were hoping, um, expecting a positive decision from our Ohio Supreme Court to put the heartbeat law back into effect, but obviously it won't be anymore with this constitu constitutional amendment passing, um, as well as the numerous other pro-life laws that were put into effect throughout the last several years in Ohio, um, whether that be informed consent, 24-hour waiting period for a woman seeking an abortion, um, a bill preventing abortion for um, children who are diagnosed with Down syndrome. So we're obviously very concerned and um, honestly not hopeful that, that those bills will, will stay in effect. Mm. And Brian, one woman who campaigned in favor of issue one said on election night, quote, the future is bright. Another said that it was the best day of her life as she celebrated abortion being installed in Ohio as a so-called right. What do you make of these celebrations of such a deadly measure? And how do we as, as pro-life Catholics move forward when, when many in the state seem quite happy about all of this? Sure. Um, it's hard to, to really have a response to that. Um, certainly, we are going to take responsibility for ourselves as, as the Catholic Church to really reflect and regroup and think about how we can um, influence the next generation of young people so that we do not have those types of statements and the, um, in good faith, lack of understanding of what abortion does to a preborn child. But um, we're certainly going to reflect and regroup and really leaning into our Catholic social teaching and how that can reach the next generation um, so that in 10, 15, 20 years, um, we won't be in the same position that we are today in Ohio. Hmm. Well, Brian Hickey of the Catholic Conference of Ohio, thank you for joining us and for all the work that you've done leading up to today. Um, we greatly appreciate your work. God bless you. Thank you, Prudence. Ohio isn't the only state where elections were held this week. We're tracking results in Virginia, Kentucky, and Mississippi as well. And sadly, we have more losses to report. In Virginia, where pro-life Republicans previously controlled the House of Delegates, Democrats took control, picking up a number of seats. Now, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who has been working to advance pro-life laws, including a 15-week limit on abortion, faces a legislature that's united against him, with Democrats in control of both chambers. And to gubernatorial races in Kentucky, Democratic incumbent and abortion extremist Andy Bashir defeated Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Andy Bashir favors abortion on demand until the moment of birth and campaigned heavily on his commitment to do something about the state's current pro-life law, which bans nearly all abortions. But Pro-lifers did see some good news from Mississippi, where Governor Tate Reeves and Attorney General Lynn Fitch won re-election. Both played key roles in the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Kelsey Pritchard is the Director of State Public Affairs at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. She joins us now to break down these election results. Kelsey, what is your reaction to issue one passing in Ohio? Let's kick it off there. Very disappointing results today, Prudence, on Ohio on issue one, as the voters have woken up today and there is now a, an extreme abortion regime in place in that state. 
That constitutional amendment allows abortion in all nine months of pregnancy. It eliminates parental rights and it removes health and safety protections for women there in that state. Uh, unfortunately, we were outspent two to one in Ohio and the abortion activists there relied on lies to win that election. All throughout the campaign, they adamantly proclaimed that Ohio's pro-life law and law that was in place didn't allow for life of the mother exception. And they falsely stated that women could not receive miscarriage care. Um, they knew they couldn't win running on the issue of abortion, so they had to mislead the voters by pouring so much money into their ads and relying on a left-wing media machine that was acting as if it was the PR department of Planned Parenthood. So very unfortunate results there, um, but a lot to learn from going forward in 2024. And Kelsey, I, I mean, I have to ask, you're right, there, there was a lot of mixed messages about um, what was on the ballot in Ohio, but with several states now voting to enshrine abortion rights after Roe, Ohio, Michigan, Kansas, to name a few, it seems like there's been an undeniable shift in public opinion when it comes to abortion. What do you make of it? What we make of it is that we've been grossly outspent in all of these races. Um, George Soros poured a ton of money into Ohio and other states, and the abortion industry can afford to fund these ballot measures and, and their ad campaigns because they can see an ROI here. If they can win these fights, they can profit more and more off the lives of babies and at the expense of women and parents. Uh, so unfortunately, the lesson has been it's hard to uh, compete when they raise so much money and when they blast the airwaves with their lies about about women's lives being at stake. And um, we've got to be so intentional going forward about trying to raise more money and directly combating their message of fear and lies with a message of hope. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your take on that. We saw another loss in the Commonwealth of Virginia with pro-abortion Democrats picking up seats in both chambers. Clearly, this is a setback when it comes to advancing a 15-week limit on abortion. Will that legislation ever see the light of day, Kelsey? You know, that is another instance where we were majorly outspent. The Democrats were running a ton of ads on abortion, and they outspent Republicans on abortion ads by a 10 to 1 ratio. So that allowed them to define the message and mischaracterize Republicans' stance on 15 weeks. And so, yeah, it's disappointing that Virginia has elected Democrats in the House and the Senate who have an agenda for no limits whatsoever on abortion. Mm. Uh, we're not going to be able to get 15 weeks done in 2024, unfortunately, but we hold out the hope for a national minimum protection and also in a future election where Virginia will elect people who represent their views more accurately on the issue of abortion. Mm. Moving to Kentucky, pro-abortion Governor Andy Bashir was reelected. Many are saying it's because of this ad he released attacking Daniel Cameron. Take a listen. This is to you, Daniel Cameron, to tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. Kelsey, how should we be responding to such campaign ads? We'll no doubt see more of them come 2024. 
We should be responding to those ads by pointing out the actual stance that Democrats have on the issue of abortion. And that is that they uh, they are for no limits whatsoever, including in the second and third trimesters. And they believe the taxpayer should fund those abortions. Uh, many of them even fall into the camp with Planned Parenthood, wanting to eliminate parental rights and get rid of every single regulation on the abortion industries so that women's health is put at risk. Um, we can't be, we can't take the bait on these kinds of ads. Um, Andy Bashir isn't for limiting abortion when a baby can feel pain with the exceptions of rape and incest. He is for all nine months, allowing it at any point. And we have to be clear about where they stand and expose their extremism. Mm. Kelsey Pritchard of SBA Pro-Life America, thank you for your analysis of all these results. Thank you, Prudence. God bless. And now more news impacting our nation and world. This week, the American Medical Association, or AMA, could change its position on assisted suicide. The group of medical professionals has historically held the stance that assisted suicide is, quote, fundamentally incompatible with the physician's role as healer. But that stance could change if the AMA decides to take up proposals that encourage a neutral position. These proposals would change the official language from assisted suicide to medical aid in dying and say assisted suicide is a matter of personal autonomy. The AMA will discuss these resolutions in their upcoming interim meeting from November 10th through the 14th. And to the Senate, where Tommy Tuberville continues his pro-life hold on military nominations. He says he won't back down until the Pentagon agrees to stop funding out-of-state abortions for U.S. military women. The conflict between Israel and Hamas has heightened tensions on this front in the Senate, with both military officials and Tuberville's own Republican colleagues pressuring him to release his hold. Among those trying to force Tuberville to throw in the towel are self-proclaimed pro-life senators. Joni Ernst and Lindsey Graham. Meanwhile, pro-life members of the House stand in support of Tuberville. Arizona Representative Eli Crane wrote on X, the U.S. military should be focused on protecting American lives, not helping to facilitate their slaughter. Senator Tuberville is taking a righteous stand, and I'm proud to stand with him. Coming up, a report shows some disturbing trends about the foreign nationals who are opting to hire American surrogate moms. I speak out. Plus, a sidewalk advocate is asking the Supreme Court to support her pro-life work and make abortion buffer zones a thing of the past. We have an exclusive interview next. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. A new report suggests that people outside of the U.S. are creating children via surrogacy in an effort to gain greater access to the United States and even gain citizenship through their children. That's this week's Speak Out segment. A report from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine says that the majority of people outside the U.S. who are opting to hire American surrogate mothers is speedily increasing. It's important to ask why. The Heritage Foundation strongly suggests that one of the main motivators for foreign nationals to have children born in the U.S. is to gain American citizenship. 
That's right. People in other nations are using artificial insemination and surrogacy to create children because they want to be U.S. citizens. An interesting detail from the study, the majority of people choosing a womb to rent in the U.S. are Chinese men aged 42 and up. Most of the women who have agreed to carry these children in their wombs, 75 percent, are based in California. What's more, many California-based surrogacy agencies conduct what's known as pre-implementation genetic testing. This means that people can choose to either implant the fertilized egg or throw it out based on the child's predicted sex, eye color, skin color, or other features. When you connect the dots here, the results are quite disturbing. We have the equivalent of China's sex-selective abortion policies happening right here in the U.S., under a different name. Not only is it dehumanizing that these children are potentially being used to gain citizenship, in many cases, it's continuing to normalize the creation of human life separate from marriage between one man and one woman and completely devoid of God's plan. Not to mention many fertilized eggs that could grow into embryos, human lives, are being destroyed if they don't look just right to their parents. The senseless destruction of life must stop. And to close out our show, we bring you news of a pro-life woman's plight. She's gone so far as to ask the highest court in the land to weigh in on her case. Deborah Vitaliano is based in Westchester County, New York. She serves as an occupational therapist for kids with special needs. Some time ago, she felt the tug to get involved in the pro-life movement, but her important work peacefully protesting, praying, and speaking with women outside of abortion clinics was cut short. This due to a law that has established a buffer zone around abortion clinics where pro-lifers aren't allowed in. Deborah Vitaliano joins us now to explain more. Deborah, when you began sidewalk counseling, your um, your ministry was unfortunately blocked for a year. You were you were, had to stop working outside of abortion clinics. Um, talk to me about how that came about and what your reaction to it was. Well, you know, after the Supreme Court had overturned. Um, Roe versus Wade, that was in June 2022. After that, uh, the county that I live in um, came up with this law, and we were not allowed to. I used to do prayer vigils outside of an abortion clinic mm -hmm. with other people, and um, we were not allowed to even approach women within a certain number of feet. There was a buffer zone. So that came about in the law just a few days after the Supreme Court overturned um Roe versus Wade. Wow. So, um, and, you know, um, it was a very, very difficult time. I had trained to become a um, consultant in pregnancy care centers and a sidewalk counselor. And so, um, and that, that training took a long time. So sure. I was uh, disappointed not to be able to help the women. Yeah, absolutely. And and not to mention you're a devout Catholic. You believe in the sanctity of life and you felt a distinct call to step into this ministry at that important moment in our movement's history. Um, yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about how that made you feel and, and what you kind of did next. Well, um, it really made me disappointed. I wasn't able to go for actually one year to go and... Um, speak with the women and also to um, pray at prayer vigils because there were different laws. And if you had passed this, if, if you had broken this particular law that we're talking about, 
um, you could be put in jail and you could be uh, fined a great deal of money. Mm. So, you know, it was very disappointing for me. So I had to really um, just really do prayer vigils at home for these women and for the unborn. Mm. And talk to me about the action you're taking now, Deborah. Your lawyers have petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to weigh in on what happened to you. What's your hope? Well, my hope is really that the Supreme Court will take this case. Um, you know, it's it's important for myself as well as, well as other sidewall counselors to be able to um, really help these women. These women are vulnerable at a point in their life where they've had an unexpected pregnancy. And um, they need to be approached in a very loving, compassionate way and for them to really know, um, you know, what their options are, that they have other options besides abortion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my hope is the Supreme Court will take it because um, who's to say that the state or the local level will not put a law into effect again like this? Right. So it really needs to be clear throughout our our, our country of, you know, there is peaceful freedom of speech on sidewalks mm. for women who are in a very vulnerable situation in a certain time of their life. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Deborah. before I let you go, what might your message be to other pro-life Americans out there who could be facing similar obstacles when it comes to reaching abortion-minded women? They really just want to help um, these women and these children. You know, my message really is to don't give up, to keep praying. Praying is very important. But the biggest message is that these women need help. They need to know what their options are. We need to approach them in a very loving, non-judgmental, and compassionate way. They're at a very they're very fragile. They're at a point in their life where they don't know where to turn. And we have the ability to to give them options in their life that they don't just have to end life. But they can do other things. They can either bring their child to full term and raise them. There are open and closed adoptions. And there are many couples who want to adopt, you know. So there are other other options. And we've had success, um, you know, in terms of women being open to this. And there are many, many organizations out there that help support them if they choose to take their baby to full term. Amen. Well, Deborah, I'm so grateful for all the work that you are doing to save children. You certainly give me a lot of hope for our movement. Deborah Vitaliano, thanks for joining us. We're praying for you. Thank you so much. We can use it. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget, you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.